All right, I'm going to jump into the message today. Uh, we're in a series called All I Want for Christmas. Now, Mariah Carey might have taken that and made that a famous song title, but no doubt that kids came up with the expression, all I want for Christmas, right? How many of you, your kids have ran up to you and said, hey, all I want for Christmas is this? A few of you, maybe? Okay, nobody. Me, I have. My son, he's in second grade and he wants a phone. I'm like, dude, you, ain't, you don't even know anybody to call, right? I'm not buying you a phone uh, to go around and make phone calls on. But kids love Christmas. They get excited about Christmas. It's a special time filled with anticipation because they know that this big fat dude in a red suit is coming to deliver presents on the tree on Christmas Eve. And that big fat dude is Santa. And I hear Santa's even coming here tonight, right? Kids love Santa. Parents love Santa, too, because here's why. We can use Santa for leverage, right? When the kids are misbehaving, you're like, hey, Santa has a list, and he's checking it twice, and you're being a heathen, and you're getting nothing for Christmas. And then the kid straightens up a little bit, right? Let's be honest. We use Santa Claus as leverage to get our kids to listen to us during the most hectic time of the year, right? We, we love Santa Claus. However, the Europeans came up with maybe a better idea than Santa Claus, and you might be familiar with this. Uh, you may recall a few years ago that there was a movie that came out called Krampus. Anybody, everybody remember that came out? Well, however you say it, whatever. Krampus, Krampus, whatever his name is, right? Anyways, I thought it was just a terrible idea that uh, you would make a horror movie at Christmas time. Uh, I mean, who would do such a stupid thing? Well, I started doing some research, and apparently Krampus, or however you say his name, is a real fictitious character in European folklore. In America, right, Santa Claus, fat man, red suit, comes down the chimney, leaves you presents in exchange for cookies and milk. It's a great story. Uh, pop quiz, Santa Claus was real. Did you know that? He was real. St. Nick right? St. Nicholas, he was a bishop, and he punched heretics in the face. Not kidding. Go home and research that. A true story. Church history. So Santa Claus, that's a better story than a fat man in a red suit leaving presents. So that's here nor there. Anyway, so parents, as we said, have used Santa for generations. You know, hey, behave. Uh, we have Santa Claus. Central Europe, they have Krampus. Krampus is a fictional character that is half goat, half demon, all right? They tell their kids that on December 5th, he comes out at night looking for all the naughty children, and when he finds them, he beats them with a chain and then puts them in a bag and takes them to hell. No joke. Now, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that kids in Central Europe are better behaved than kids in America, right? Because that scares me to death, right? So kids are better behaved, right? All of this stuff is in relation to getting things, right? Because all of us deep down inside want different things in life. And that's the whole idea of this series. We're talking about different things that we desperately desire or desperately need in life. And last week we talked about how all of us need and desire peace. The story of Christmas is a story of peace coming to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. And Christmas is a miracle of Peace. However, peace is not the only gift that God wants to give humanity through the birth of Jesus. In the birth of Jesus, God also gave presence to man. Not presence like under the tree, but presence as in he dwells among us. And so I want to encourage you today to stand with me as we read our, uh, the word of God. You can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number one. We're going to start reading in verse number 18. We stand to read God's Word because we believe that this is the living Word of God, that we honor it because God is speaking to us through this Word. Matthew chapter 1, starting verse number 18, it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Let's pray over the word of God. Lord, we just thank you for your word. And I pray today as we study your word, Lord, that indeed it would just divide every area of our life, divide our intentions, divide our motives, Lord, divide what's right and wrong in our lives, Lord, so that you can begin to do the great work that needs to be done on our heart. Lord, during this Christmas season, Lord, we need different things. We desire different things in our life. And I pray today that you would help us to see that what we need more than anything is your presence. And Lord, I thank you that you came to give us your presence. And Lord, I pray that you'd illuminate our hearts to your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Speaking of the Christmas narrative, J.I. Packard said, It is here, in the thing that happened in the first Christmas, the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of Christian revelation lie. And that's a very profound quote, and indeed it is true. In Christianity, the richness of our faith, the greatest miracle of all time, is recorded here in the Christmas narrative. And that miracle is this, that God came to be with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. In our passage this morning, it is telling us of the birth of Jesus and surrounding the events of the birth of Jesus. We, we know this story very well. Joseph is engaged to marry Joseph, or excuse me, Joseph is engaged to marry Mary, and, and he is marrying this young lady. And in the betrothal process, it's legally binding, much as our marriage is in America today. And so, we know from Luke's gospel that an angel visits Mary and he tells her that she is highly favored by God and is going to conceive a child in the birth in the power of the Holy Spirit and she is to is to raise and rear this child because this child is going to go save people from their sins and she accepts that she acknowledges that she is a virgin but the angel reassures her that nothing is impossible for God and so Mary conceives this child through the power of the Holy Spirit and it is brought to Joseph's attention that she is with child we are not sure how Joseph discovers that Mary is with child I I personally believe Mary probably went and told Joseph about the encounter with the angel. And naturally, as any man or as any of us would today, Joseph does not believe Mary's story. Why should he believe this story? No one has ever heard of such a thing as a virgin having a child. Surely she's been with another man. The Bible says that Joseph is a righteous man and he does not want to put her to public shame. So he decides that he is going to honor the law, but he's going to do it quietly as to not make a big deal out of this because he doesn't want her to be put through that ridicule. According to the law, he had the ability, he had the power, he had the right to have her executed for infidelity, but Joseph decided to be a man of God and honor God and honor Mary as much as he could. And so with humility, he decides to divorce her quietly. And then one night, Joseph has a vision. 
an angel speaks to him and brings him a message. And he, the angel says, Joseph, son of David, do not, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what's inside of her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you're to call him Jesus. And this entire event that seems so unlikely is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said that there would be a virgin that would conceive a child. And you are to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus was and is God with us. Now, I find that interesting because of all the names that God could have chosen to declare the birth of Jesus, why did the angel choose Emmanuel? Why did the angel choose a name that means God with us? Wouldn't it have been better to talk about Jesus's power or his deity. I mean, after all, Jesus is going to raise the dead and he's going to perform miracles. Wouldn't it be better to point to that event rather than him being with us? Wouldn't it be better to talk about how Jesus is our healer? Why God with us? And here's the big idea of this message. The greatest present ever given to humanity was the gift of presence. God came to be with us. And I want you to know that that's what Christmas was all about. Right here in the proclamation of the birth of Jesus Christ, you see everything that you need to know about the Christmas narrative. Christmas is about the presence of God coming to be with humanity. Now, what's fascinating about humanity is that we hate being alone. How many of you hate being alone? You don't like being alone. You want other people around you most of the time. Well, most people are actually that way. Even people who are introverts by nature do not like to be completely alone forever. We're almost afraid of complete isolation for long periods of time. Perhaps we like to escape and seclude ourselves for a while, but those time periods are always very short. We need human interaction. We need other people in our life. Very few people can live completely isolated from other people, especially their family for long periods of time. There's a dread, there's a fear, there's an anxiety of isolation that comes into our into our hearts. There was a TV show a while back, perhaps you saw it, it was called Alone. And what they would do is they would take different people who had a little bit of survival skills and they would take them and they would put them in the Yukon by themselves. It was very cold, it was very wet, and they just threw these people out there and they had a few items they took with them and the whole premise of the show was to see who could survive the longest. These people were in complete isolation. They were dropped at different spots. And what you would notice very quickly is that it would only take a day or two where these people who were used to being in the woods, they were used to surviving on their own, when they were completely isolated from any outside contact, very quickly their, their perspectives in life started to change. Depression started to come on their life. They started to miss and long being with their family. They started talking to themselves. There, there started to be all these psychological effects that happened on their life. Why? Because humans are not meant to be alone. Even subconsciously, we don't like being alone. Many people get sucked into hours of staring at their phone on social media to quote-unquote connect with other people. And even though most of us hate the idea of staring at our phone for hours on end, we end up doing it anyways. Why? Because we want to know what's going on. We don't want to be left out. We want to know what's going on in the world with our friends, with our families, and we are reciprocating that by broadcasting our lives. Life across Facebook. Why do we do this? Because we don't want to be disconnected. Being isolated is so terrible, in fact, that that's what we use in our judicial system to punish prisoners that misbehave. We take them, we lock them up in isolation for extended periods of time. And this concept 
of avoiding isolation has a deep spiritual root to it, and we need to realize that. The Bible teaches us that God never intended for anyone to be alone ever. We know very well in Genesis chapter number 2, verse number 18, that God is speaking. He's placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, and God declares, it is not good for man to be alone. I have to make a helper that's suitable for him. And so through a series of circumstances, God creates Eve, and he places her in the garden. Now, I want you to think about the significance of this. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Why is it not good for man to be alone? I think that's a very important question to ask and to understand. I believe it's because God said that we were created in his image. In Genesis 1, God said, let us make man in our image. Now, who is God speaking to in Genesis chapter number one? This is before anything is created. Who is God speaking to when he says, let us make man in our image? Who is the us? Well, the us is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, three in one, as the scriptures declare. And what we see is that God is a social God within himself. The Father speaks and he glorifies the Son. We see that in the gospel accounts. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Father and the Son. There is a social uh, element to the Trinity. And God was not only social within himself, but he's also social to humanity because the Bible says that God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. So when God said, let us make man in our image, part of the pattern that he instilled inside of you and inside of me is that we are social in interaction. We like to socialize with other humans, and we need a spiritual connection with God. This is why when God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden, Adam's life was out of balance until he put Eve there. Even though Adam had a relationship with God, his life was still out of balance because he needed someone that he could love, someone that he could sacrifice for, someone who was like him that he could give himself to. And so God created Eve, and now there's balance in the life of Adam. But we know what happened with the story. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, and they realized they were naked. They sewed the fig leaves together, and they, re- they ran, and they hid from God. God shows up. He asks Adam what's going on. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the devil. And here's what God says in Genesis 3, through 24. Then the Lord God declared, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God drove humans from his presence because sinful man cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And the last day that God walked on this earth before Jesus came was in the Garden of Eden to pass judgment. That was the last time that God was with man. And so what we see is that sin replaced presence. When Adam and Eve sinned, the balance of presence in their life was thrown off. Just as it was not good for Adam to be alone without leave, it was not good. It was worse for Adam and Eve to be alone without God. And on the day that Adam and Eve sinned, they experienced loneliness for the very first time in human history. A true spirit of loneliness settled into their heart because there was a disconnect 
from their creator. And now every person who has ever been born has a hole of spiritual loneliness in their life. There's a void in their life. We were created to be in relation and spiritual balance with God, but now loneliness has broken those scales. And if we realize it or not, every single one of us are living with the effects of loneliness in our life. From the most extrovert among us to the most introvert, we have all felt the effects of loneliness in our life. Now, what are the effects of loneliness? How does this isolation from God manifest itself in our lives? Well, we really see this play out one of four ways in the life of humanity. The first is this, loneliness manifests itself by a lack of inner peace. Manifest, uh, loneliness manifests itself by a lack of inner peace. Many people are walking around in life with the feeling that something is missing. There's an emptiness, there's a loneliness, there's a void in their life that they cannot explain. There's this desire for adventure, for excitement, for fulfillment. And they ask the question, what am I here for? What, what am I supposed to be doing? What is God's plan and purpose for my life? And there's a feeling that there's something off, and that feeling plays out in a variety of ways. Sometimes men go through a midlife crisis. That's what we call it when we see a man when he hits middle age and he's off. He doesn't, feel, he doesn't know his purpose. They, they realize that their best years are behind them and that they have accomplished some things, but not everything that they wanted to accomplish. Perhaps a, a new car or a different hairstyle or fresh adventure will bring some excitement. For ladies, a lot of times the inner peace often shows up when the kids leave the house because for years their identity and their worth was wrapped up in being a mother to their children and raising their children. And now that their children are living their own life, they struggle knowing what they are here for and they're left feeling a sense of emptiness. In both cases, there's no peace in the life of the individual. There's no adventure and there's a void. The second way that uh, loneliness manifests itself is by a lack of personal validation. Loneliness in life often represents and presents itself by a lack of validation for the individual, the person who lacks identity and value in who they are. So they overcompensate by finding validation in goals or achievements or material possessions. There is a desire to, to have something that they do not have already because if they gain that item or that achievement, perhaps it will bring some validation to who they are or what they have accomplished in life. Symptoms of this often manifest itself as keeping up with the Joneses, the fear of being left out, or the desire to be at the center of attention to get personal recognition from other people. The third way that loneliness often manifests itself is by unending grief at the loss of a loved one. Now, perhaps this aspect of loneliness plays out the most obvious at the death of a loved one around the Christmas time, because Christmas can be so difficult when we lose a loved one. Now, we need to understand that mourning is uh, mourning the loss of a loved one, especially at the holidays, is normal, biblical, and beneficial. The Bible makes it very clear that there is a time for mourning. It's a healthy exercise for a Christian and a believer to go through to, to mourn the loss of someone that was so near and dear to them, and that, that, that especially when that loss is so fresh. However, some people, instead of having a season of mourning, descend into a life cycle of loss. 
The thought of their loved one doesn't bring back fond memories, but rather it brings back painful reminders of something that is no longer in their life. And there is a a feeling of loss and emptiness. And the holiday season is not a season of reflection and joy, but a season of pain and remorse. The fourth way that we often see um, we often see loneliness manifest itself is the worst way, and it's the most common way, and that is sin. Sure, there are many sins that manifest itself in the company of other people, but by and large, when you start looking at sin and how people sin, we tend to sin in isolation with very other few other people around. Isolation is dangerous because it puts us in a place where we are emotionally and spiritually vulnerable to sin. We have lost the defense mechanisms. We've lost the supporting cast in our life, and we tend to dive and fall into sin most often when we are in isolation. Let me give you an example of low-hanging fruit. Pornography is an absolute epidemic in our culture today. If you start looking at the statistics, men and women view pornography in a month about the same rate, meaning the same percentage of men and women in our culture today are viewing pornography. Men just happen to look at it more often than women do. When do people tend to look at pornography? Oftentimes in isolation by themselves at a computer or on a phone. And it's just a microcosm of how sin tends to play itself out in the life of of other people and out of life of believers and non-believers. When we get alone, we are vulnerable. And there's no mistake about it that the devil tried to tempt Jesus when he was in isolation in the wilderness. We can read about it in Matthew chapter number four. Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water and the Bible says the Holy Spirit leads Jesus to the wilderness. And while he's there, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And during this fast, when he's in isolation, when he's at his most vulnerable state is when the devil comes to try to tempt him into sin. Now, we know Jesus overcame. He did not sin. He did not fall into temptation. But we need to take that as an example of how the enemy wants to work in your life and in my life. When I feel lonely, there could be a hundred people in the room, but when I feel lonely and when I am in isolation, temptation is more likely to come my way. Temptation to my thoughts and my thought process tends to come when I'm in isolation. Temptation to what I look at and consume tends to come when I am in isolation. And so we need to be aware of the schemes of the enemy, and we need to make sure that we don't allow our guard to get let down. So we see that isolation is not good. And when humanity was driven from the garden, driven from the presence of God, we were left in this pathetic and miserable state. As we said a moment ago, God was walking on the earth when Adam and Eve were in the garden. But as soon as they sinned, they were driven from his presence and God left the scene, if you will. He could not be in the presence of sinful man. Why? Not for his own sake, but because of our sake. We read about Isaiah when he gets in the presence of God in Isaiah chapter number six. Isaiah was a righteous man. He believed in God. He tried to honor God. But what does the scripture say when he gets in the presence of God and he has a vision of the throne room of heaven? He says, woe is me. I am undone. What does the word undone mean? It means like I'm coming apart at the seams. When Isaiah got in the presence of God, it felt like he was literally breaking apart. Why? Because he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord God. Here's what we need to see. The reason why God could not be in the presence of sinful man is not because it offended God, but because we 
were undone when we get in the presence of God. So God had to drive Adam and Eve for their own safety and for their own benefit from His presence. But He did not leave us alone. He promised a Savior was coming. Now, fast forward 4,000 years, and here's the angel speaking to Joseph in our passage. And he's saying, look, the Savior is here. The one that God promised is coming, and He is wrapping Himself in flesh to save humanity from His sins. Now, the virgin birth is perhaps the hardest truth in the entire Bible to wrap our minds around. It's something that we have never seen before and we will never see again. The only virgin birth that has ever happened or ever will happen happened at the Christmas story 2,000 years ago. And so Joseph would have had the same problem with the virgin birth that you and I had. It took the Holy Spirit to illuminate Mary's heart that the conception was possible and also took the Holy Spirit illuminating Joseph's heart that the conception was possible, and it takes the Holy Spirit illuminating our hearts that the virgin birth was possible and that the Savior wants to come and bring us presence. The reason why this, the, this virgin was with child was because this was not a normal child. This child was Emmanuel, God with us. And for the first time since the Garden of Eden, God was going to walk with humanity again. Except this time, God was wrapped in flesh. This time, he was coming to live just like the humans he was trying to save. Jesus was coming with one purpose. That was to save us from our sins. Now, at this point, it's important to ask, what is the significance of Jesus being Emmanuel? What is the, what is the effect of presence on our life? And the answer is very easy to find because all you have to do is look at the life of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went and people encountered Jesus, they were encountering God for the first time, and they felt just a rush of presence over their life. We said that loneliness manifests itself in about four ways in humanity. And when you see Jesus interacting with people, you see him addressing those four areas in their life. Let me show them to you. We said loneliness manifests itself with a lack of inner peace. And Jesus brings a presence of inner fulfillment. When you get home, read the account of the woman at the well at John chapter number four. I want to read to you a few verses. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to, with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why do you talk to her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus encounters this woman who's desperately needing inner peace in her life. She's had five husbands and she's left five husbands. And now she's living with another man who's not even her husband. She lacks inner peace. But in this day, presence rushed into her life. On a routine day when she was getting water from a well, she encountered God. She felt the presence of God and her life was never the same. Let me tell you something. If you're ever going to have true inner peace, it's not going to be found in anything else other than the person of Jesus Christ in your life. Until you're walking with the Lord and you're consistently going to Him and you're consistently encountering Him, you always feel insecure and unsecure. You'll be looking for your identity and your validation and people's stuff, success, everything that is going to leave you empty. However, the presence of God will change everything. 
When you allow the presence of God to rush into your life, that's when the adventure begins. That's when the the identity is found. That's when hope is realized in your life. We said loneliness manifests itself in the desire to seek personal validation. When Jesus comes, he brings presence of personal value and worth to the individual. Luke chapter number 19, verse 1 through 10 says this, He entered Jericho, speaking of Jesus, and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And then, and when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. And he has gone in to be with the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. When Zacchaeus was in his loneliness, he would steal from other people because he was a tax collector. He had the authority, he had the power. He would take more than what was required to him, and he built a massive amount of wealth. Why? Because he was trying to have personal validation. He was trying to prove that he was someone. Now, why, why did he need to do this? Why did he feel like he had to prove himself all the time? Perhaps it was his short stature. We don't know. But money brought success for him, and it, he found his validation in that. Except the problem was he was still feeling left empty. You know how we know that? Because when Zacchaeus heard Jesus was coming, he would do anything it took to find him. It'd take anything he could to see him. And so when he was coming and he heard Jesus was coming since he was short and he couldn't see over the crowd, he ran and climbed a tree to see Jesus. So I want you to think about this. This man who, who, who was prominent in the community, this man who had money, who worried about how he appeared to other people, he climbs a tree like a child. Why? Because he knows that this man, Jesus, has something that he needs. But here's the catch that I want you to see. Jesus said he came to seek and save the lost. And just as Zacchaeus was trying to find Jesus, Jesus was trying to seek out Zacchaeus also because he had something he wanted to give Zacchaeus. He wanted to give him presence. And so what did he do? He said, Zacchaeus, I need to be in your house. And just as Jesus needed to be in Zacchaeus's house, Jesus needs to be in our house and in our life. And so Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus has this encounter with Jesus. He welcomes him with joy, and in an amazing moment, he stands up and he says, I'm giving half of everything I have to the poor, and if I've stolen from anybody, if I've defrauded anybody, I'm paying it back. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. What Zacchaeus realized was that everything he needed was in the person of Jesus. And so many of us were going through life, we're trying to do things and accomplish things to bring personal validation. And what you need more than anything is the presence of Jesus in your life. Because when Jesus is in your life, you see your worth, you see your validation. Where do you see it at? At the cross. If you were worth nothing, Jesus wouldn't have died for you. If you were worth nothing, he would not have come at Christmas. But because of his love for you and his care for you, he came and he gave everything just to be with you. You need his presence. Loneliness manifests itself in an unending grief at the loss of a loved one. Jesus brings us the promise of eternal presence. When we're feeling lonely, 
at the loss of a loved one. Jesus brings the promise of eternal presence. John 11, sorry, in verse number 17, it says this. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Mary and Martha were in this place of grief at the loss of their brother. They had resentment towards Jesus because Jesus had not shown up sooner. But Jesus is showing Mary and Martha that he is the promise of eternal life. He says, I am the resurrection and life. And what you need to realize is that in Jesus, we have eternal life and we have eternal presence. And so we do not mourn like the world does. There is a season of mourning because of the loss of a loved one. However, that mourning turns into sweet memories of our loved one because we know that there's joy on the other side. We're going to spend eternity with the hope of heaven because Jesus came that we could be with him forever. This is the hope we have as Christians. Though we die, we will live again and we will see our fallen brothers and sisters in Christ and we will spend eternity with them and our Savior Jesus. That is the hope that we have. That is the hope that the early church held on to. That's the hope that they were looking for because they knew no matter what you're experiencing in this life, no matter what you seem to be losing in heaven, you have everything that you need. And the last thing I want to point to you is this, if the worship team wants to return. Loneliness manifests itself in a lifestyle of sin. With Jesus' presence comes forgiveness and redemption. Luke chapter number 23, starting verse number 32, it says this. Two others who were criminals were, were led away to be put on death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him, the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, if he is the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him and coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged there riled against him and said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Loneliness manifests itself most commonly in our sins. By the mercy of God, though, we are forgiven when the presence of Jesus comes into our life. What are the chances that this thief was executed next to Jesus on this day? 
You know, this is a crazy story when you start thinking about it. This man was facing his death, but yet it turned out to be the best day of his life. This man could have been executed the day before or the day after, and he would have died in his sins. But by the mercy and the grace of God, the day of his execution, he happened to be crucified next to another. And that other was in the presence of Jesus. So metaphorical and so symbolic of what you and I need. This man was a sinner, but yet he found himself in the presence of Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, he found forgiveness of his sins. And in the presence of Jesus, you and I find forgiveness of our sins. Sin in the New Testament is always shown as the source of all our calamities. However, in the Christmas proclamation that the angel gave to Joseph, Jesus was coming for one reason. The presence of Jesus was coming and it was going to result in salvation from our sins. And we can only know the power of presence when we know that presence sets us free from our sins. Jesus overcame every effect of loneliness with his presence. Emmanuel, God with us, the greatest gift of all time. There's no greater blessing than for God to be dwelling with you and with me. No greater blessing than God to be dwelling with his people. Revelation 21, starting in verse number one, it says this, John the Revelator seen how all of this is going to end. And he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and the sea was no more. Everything you and I see someday is going to pass away. And everything that we see and experience, all the bad things, is going to be no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was sitting on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give to the spring of water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable, as for the murderers and the sexually immoral and the scoffers and the idolaters and all liars, their portion shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur for which is the second death. This is the result of the presence of Emmanuel. One day, you and I are going to be in heaven and every scar that we ever had will be healed and every tear we've ever shed will be wiped from our eyes and there will be no more loneliness. Hope is coming and hope is here. Why? Because Jesus lived. That's the promise of presence. It's not just for heaven, it's for today. It changes our hearts. He didn't leave us as orphans. He he came to rescue us. And when he went back to heaven, he says, I'm leaving you with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, what's our response to this? What's our response to Jesus who is with us? That response is faith and obedience. It's the same response that Joseph had. When Jesus was being proclaimed and the angel was saying he's coming. What did Joseph do? Joseph put his faith in the message that was being given to him and he obeyed the commandments that God was laying out before him. And if you have any hope to have your loneliness filled, if you have any hope of having the side effects of loneliness in your life, 
taken and healed, then the only response that you can have is faith and obedience. Because Joseph's faith and obedience allowed him to be with Jesus literally. Because Joseph had faith in God and he obeyed God, he got to raise God in his home. And that's so symbolic of what happens to you and to me. When we have our faith and our obedience in the person of Jesus, he lives with us and he makes his dwelling with us. And just as Joseph got to watch Jesus and have Jesus in his presence, so too Jesus is in our presence. That makes a decision point for us today. Where do you need the presence of God at? Where do you need the presence of God in your life? Will you please stand with me this morning?